reading tonight from the New International Version. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 15. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him, you who were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This evening we're considering the seal of the Abrahamic covenant, but right now I'm thankful for the covenant with Noah. (laughs) Sanctuary somewhat reminds me of what the ark might have looked like from within. Look at all those two-by-twos, some of them clean and some unclean here. There's a little window up in the top that we might let our dove out at the end of our venture. But we are thankful, we are thankful that God made the covenant with Noah. We're thankful because that covenant still is in effect and because it is significant for us today. That covenant guarantees to us that so long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and night and day will never cease. That God will never again destroy the earth with a flood. Now, you assume every time you see the rainbow that God's covenant with Noah still is in effect. You take comfort when you see the rainbow in the midst of the clouds. What about the covenant with Abraham? Do you think it's still in effect? Do you think the covenant with Abraham also has significance for you today? Do you rejoice in the fact that not only is the covenant with Noah still binding upon God and men, but the covenant with Abraham also is binding with God and men? Do you rejoice not only in the rainbow, but in circumcision? Do you see in that ritual also something that has great significance for you who are participants in the new covenant? Well, let's look tonight and see how this particular covenant is, or this seal of this particular covenant functions. 
in the history of redemption, the seal of the Abrahamic covenant. We've got so much good things to say, we can just barely get them onto the screen. Now, we're going to begin with a little review as to what was covered this last Sunday evening. And this is going to go a little bit rapidly now. If you weren't here last week, you may have to go get the video and and see something that goes a little more slowly over these points. Because there's a lot of stuff here, and it's very significant for us today. I'm going to move right along, and you're going to have to keep on paddling to keep up at this point. Now, the context of the seal of the Abrahamic covenant is that it is found in Genesis chapter 17. Now, in Genesis 15, you have the formal establishment of the Abrahamic covenant in which Abraham saw the vision of God's, a representation of God passing between the divided pieces in which God said, I bind myself to life and death that you will inherit the blessings of the covenant. Abraham must have rejoiced in that, but he must have gotten the vision pretty quickly because in Genesis chapter 16, he stumbles and falls. He resorts to the flesh. He listens to Sarah and he turns to Hagar and takes to him another wife to try to fulfill himself the promises of God that seem to be unfulfillable. Now in Genesis 17 then, you have the seal of the Abrahamic covenant a more sure and more permanent stamp placed upon Abraham that God does intend to set him apart, to be his own. It has to do with the procreative organ, symbolizing that this covenant has to do with the future generations. But it is in the context of the test of Abraham's faith that the seal of the covenant is established. Now what is the original import? As you look at the original establishment of this covenant seal, what is its significance? And the significant passage is Genesis chapter 17, verses 9 through 14. You can jot down those verses and go back and look at them later. But among the the major elements emphasized in these verses, you have an inescapable command. You shall circumcise yourself and he that is eight days of age is to be circumcised. It is a seal of the covenant. And you and your house are bound in that covenant relationship. This seal of the covenant is identified with the covenant of itself. This is my covenant that I establish with you. This seal is not an insignificant thing. It's not something that you can take or leave according to convenience. It is very important. This is the covenant that I establish. Now it is set up in contrast with the practices of the other nations. Many other nations practiced circumcision in Abraham's day. The archaeological evidence attests to that fact. But so far as we can tell to this point, only in Israel was a man circumcised when he was eight days of age. In the other nations, it was a sign of puberty or sign of entrance into manhood in which a man was able to assert himself and to establish his own identity. But here it is this child that is eight days of age that is to be circumcised. Now that tells us something of the significance of circumcision. It was extended to the Gentiles. It wasn't purely a racial or national badge. For from the very beginning, 
the first time circumcision was instituted by God in a Gentile, it was indicated to Abraham, could become a full-fledged Jew by the process of circumcision. So you could have an Egyptian proselyte, marry an Assyrian proselyte, and they would have offspring that would be Jewish, and yet they would not have one drop of Abrahamic blood running through their veins. Interesting, isn't it? It's very important in in defining who Israel is. You are an Israelite if you, by faith, are connected with the God of Abraham. You are a Jew if you have received the promises of Abraham by faith. Now, there was a curse for the uncircumcised. He that is not uncircumcised, according to Genesis 17, verse 14, he shall be cut off from my people. He has broken my covenant. Once more, the importance of this sign is indicated. Now, what is the theological significance of the seal of circumcision as it is originally instituted? Well, it signifies union with God and his people. That's perhaps the most important thing. Union with God and his people. Union with God and his people. That's what happens in the context of circumcision. The sign of the covenant distinguishes God's people from the world. It distinguishes God's people from the world. You can see how important it is that we can identify one another as Christians, that we can know that we belong to a certain body, that we have been called out and called together to be a people of God. And the sign and seal of the covenant is that which sets us apart to be God's own and to be one with God's people. Now, implicitly, that suggests a need for cleansing. The cutting away of the foreskin was a symbolic representation of the removal of the defilement of the sinful nature. That says something also about infants or the Old Testament perspective on that that infant. I almost said that innocent. See that sweet little innocent thing? Well, the Bible says, no, he's not quite as innocent as he might appear. He's not quite as innocent as he might appear. He comes into the world needing cleansing. He needs to be washed. He needs to be renewed. And that's what circumcision symbolized. And also the provision for cleansing. Not only the need for cleansing, but that God had made a provision for cleansing. Now that reference to John chapter 7, verses 22 and 23 down at the right at the bottom there, is just to show that from Jesus' perspective also, circumcision was regarded as a sign of cleansing. Look at John chapter 7, verses 22 and 23. And we're not looking at the main point that Jesus is making here, for the main point has to do with the Sabbath. He's in the middle of a Sabbath controversy. But just incidentally, he points out his view as to the significance of the Old Testament ritual of circumcision. The Jews, or some of the leaders of the Jews, were grumbling because Jesus had healed a man on the Sabbath day. What a terrible thing to do. He had worked by making a man whole on the Sabbath day. He had cleansed a man of the defilement of illness that he had in his body. And the leaders of the Jews were concerned about this, that he had worked on the Sabbath day. Now look at what Jesus says. Jesus said to them in 
John 7, 21, I did one miracle and you're all astonished. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually it did not come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, interestingly, see, Jesus knew and understood that it goes all the way back to Abraham. You circumcise a child on the Sabbath. What happens in Jewish tradition if a child should be born on Friday? Well, the eighth day rolls around and that's their Sabbath day, Saturday. Well, they're not to work. Is circumcision work? Well, in a certain sense, you might say it is a work. Are they to do this or are they not to do it? Well, they went ahead and did it. They circumcised men even if the eighth day from their birth fell on their Sabbath day. You circumcise a child on the Sabbath. Now, if a child can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, although it goes all the way back to Abraham as well, why are you angry with me for making a whole man hygienic on the Sabbath? That's the way that phrase literally reads. Making a whole man hygienic on the Sabbath day. In other other words, the implication of what Jesus is saying, you make a man partially clean on the Sabbath day by circumcising him. You remove that which can be a potential of defilement of the flesh on the Sabbath day. So why are you fussing at me when I make a man completely hygienic, a whole man hygienic on the Sabbath day? So here's the wonder of wonders. The great thing of the message of this seal of the Abrahamic covenant, God has provided a way of cleansing for the sinner. It's not just that he says you need cleansing and leaves you hanging there. He says, I have provided a way, a way by which you may be cleansed from the defilement of sin. Now that's the original import of the ritual of circumcision. Now let's just look briefly at circumcision in Old Testament history and theology and see how that ritual develops in the Old Testament. And we're moving on to the New Testament to ask the question ultimately, does that ritual really say anything us today? We know that the rainbow says something to us. Does circumcision also say something to us? Look at it in Old Testament history and theology. And the essential point is to notice is that circumcision is never purely and simply a national, a racial, or an ethnic badge. It never simply constitutes the Israelite nation. It always has a spiritual or a redemptive significance. Now that's very important as you think of it in terms of its transferal over into a new covenant context. That Old Testament sign of circumcision cannot be regarded as something was, that was purely external in significance. Only had something to do with respect to the inclusion of someone into the nation of Israel or into that particular community. Now the evidence is there throughout. Originally we've already seen in Genesis 17 where at that time of institution the essence of the significance of that seal is that I shall be their God and they shall be my people. I shall seal them to be mine by this sign of circumcision. Now in Moses' day, you have it indicated in Exodus chapter 12, in Exodus chapter 12, that the Gentile 
the Gentile, those from the heathen nations, they could sit down at the Passover meal in which they, Israel celebrated its redemption and deliverance from the bondage of Egypt, symbolizing their deliverance from sin and judgment of, of God. As the death angel passed over, they were delivered from the consequences of their sin. Now Exodus chapter 12 says that any Gentile can participate in the Passover. Did you realize that? Any Gentile could become a participant in the Passover if and only if he first had been circumcised. He had to be introduced into the community of the redeemed by circumcision. So you see, it's not just a racial badge. It has something to do with the redemption of man, with their deliverance from the death angel that circumcision is involved in. This reference to be Jacob is a current Jewish commentator of about a hundred years ago, current, who in his little book or commentary on Genesis says circumcision turned a man of other origins into an Israelite. Circumcision turned a man of foreign origin into an Israelite. And that is seen in the fact that he was allowed to participate in the highest festival of Israel, which was the Passover meal. Now what about the period of Joshua through kings in the Old Testament? Well, there's an interesting reference in Joshua chapter 5, in which all the nation of Israel is circumcised once more. They had neglected circumcision in the old, during their 38 years of wandering in the wilderness. They had failed to circumcise that new generation. And then, just as they enter into the land of promise, they are circumcised. Now that phrase, rolled away, is not the song, rolled away, rolled away, rolled away, if you know that song, but it's referring to the actual phrase that is used to describe the ritual of circumcision in Joshua 5 verse 9. The word in Hebrew is galal, galal. And the scripture there says, there, that day, galoti, I have rolled away the reproach of Israel, of Egypt, from you. Now that rolling away, that use of that particular term with respect to circumcision as it was performed in Joshua chapter 5 seems to be referring to the cutting away of the foreskin. I have rolled away by the process of circumcision the reproach of Egypt from upon you. Now clearly that's not referring to an ethnic identity. It's referring most likely to the land promise. Just as they are entering into the land, they have the reproach of Egypt rolled away from them. That is, when they were down in Egypt, they had no land. They had no possession. They had not experienced the ultimate of redemption fulfilled in their lifetime in the possession, symbolically, of their entering into the land that flowed with milk and honey. But now, finally, at the brink of Jordan, as they cross the Jordan into the land of promise, the first thing they do is debilitate all the males. There is that huge, massive wall city of Jericho with all those soldiers armed and they could come down, swoop down upon Israel and destroy them in a moment. But what do they do? They debilitate every male 
because God told them to. A great act of faith on their part. And that became a sign that they had rolled away the reproach of Egypt, that they were to possess the promised land that God had said was theirs. Now there's reference in this period of Joshua to kings quite frequently to the uncircumcised Philistines. Now that's not talking about their ethnic or racial background because in Egypt, in Assyria, there was the practice of circumcision. But in the case of Philistia, there was no circumcision. But when that phrase uncircumcision, uncircumcised Philistines is used, it means that they are in their hearts unclean. It's not just their racial identity that is being talked about, but it is that they are an uncircumcised, that is an unclean community. In the prophetical perspective, in this period of Old Testament history, in a passage like Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 4, the prophet says to Israel, circumcise the foreskin of your heart. Circumcise the foreskin of your heart. Now what is he saying? He's not saying to Israel as he rebukes them in that context, add something now to your physical circumcision. No, he is saying, fulfill that which was symbolically represented when you were physically circumcised. In other words, there was a spiritual dimension all along to circumcision. Fulfill that which should have been there all along. Your heart, as well as your flesh, should have been circumcised. Circumcise the foreskin of your heart. So throughout the whole of the Old Testament period, there is that unity of testimony that the meaning and significance of circumcision was not just that it was a racial or ethnic badge, but it had spiritual significance. Now at this point, we're ready to move in to the New Covenant. And to look at a few passages in the New Testament that refer to circumcision and see how that sign and seal of the Old Covenant continues to have significance for us in the New Covenant. Now, my writing is hardly legible and my drawing is even worse than that. That is supposed to be a circle in the center there and Something of a takeoff of what is called in Eastern philosophy the yang and the yin. That little circle with the little S in the middle of it. It's suggesting the wholeness of one thing that has two parts, but really there's a unity to those two parts. Even though there is a diversity and a divergence and a difference, there is a unity there. And these lines on this side and on that side are pointing first to the Old Testament movement toward this essence and heart and on this side are moving in terms of explaining the New Testament reality of circumcision. Now let's look and see what we have. What we have is a symbolism of the covenant seal in the old covenant ritual of circumcision. What does that old covenant symbol or ritual represent. It symbolizes an external cleansing or it cleanses externally in the cutting away of the foreskin symbolizing an internal cleansing. As a person was cleansed externally 
by the ritual of circumcision, there was to be there a representation of the internal cleansing. And the effect of this symbolic action of the cutting away of the foreskin in the Old Testament represented an incorporation into an external body of people symbolizing the incorporation into God's people. It brought the people of the Old Covenant into the covenant community, which is called Israel at that time. And that incorporation into the external community symbolized, though it didn't always contain the essence of their inclusion into the elect people of God. Now this symbolism was performed by man. It had all the limitations of man. But at the same time, and simultaneously, there was an essence that was being realized in the hearts of the elect people of God in the Old Covenant. And in the essence of that Old Testament ritual, those who were the elect people of God, they were being cleansed internally. And they were being incorporated into the true people of God. So that you have both sides of a coin here. You have the outer form and you have the inner essence. Now when you move into the New Testament, you see that interestingly, you have both of these elements working at the same time as well. You have the symbolism of the New Testament ritual. And here we're talking about baptism, the symbolism of baptism. That symbol cleanses externally. You use water in baptism, symbolizing internal cleansing. Not always does the internal cleansing coincide with the external cleansing, but the symbolism is there. It cleanses externally, symbolizing internal cleansing. And secondly, baptism incorporates into an external body, symbolizing incorporating into the unity of God's people. In other words, by baptism, you are incorporated into the family of God. You know the symbol of the closeness of the relationship of a family is when they sit down and eat together. One of the greatest occasions and experiences of every family is when on the holidays they come together and eat a meal together. What a wonderful time that is. That's a symbol of the height of perfection of fellowship and communion. But in the covenant community of the new covenant, you can't participate in that experience until you have first been baptized. Now some have tried it the other way. Some suggest, oh yeah, you can have communion, you can fellowship about the Lord's table without baptism. Oh no, not if the order that is established in scripture is followed. First there must be the baptism, then the communion. And that was the same order that was found in the old covenant. First the circumcision, then the Passover meal. Only after you had been circumcised could you enter into the fellowship of the family of God. But the symbolism of the New Testament ritual also is realized in the essence of what is there in terms of the experience of the elect people of God. What is happening? God applies here. God works in the heart and cleanses the heart of a man. 
Who is able to cleanse the heart of a man? Certainly no minister applying the waters of baptism can do so. That's something that only the Holy Spirit can do. And it also incorporates into the community of the people of God. Joins that person in time and history with the elect of God's people in a fellowship. Now so you can see that there is a very close parallelism. Now you might ask the question, why did not God just eliminate this human administration of the sacrament? Why did he not just eliminate altogether? Why didn't God come down and say, I'm going to do the circumcision? And nobody's going to be circumcised except those who are genuinely saved. Or from a new covenant perspective, why didn't God say, no, I'm not going to let any minister do the baptism in the church. They make mistakes. Whether you're talking about adults or infants, you can have somebody that can fool a minister. He can say, I believe in Jesus. And then the minister baptizes him into the community of God's people, but he may not really be saved. So why didn't God say, I'll put on the water. Maybe I'll just cause a little rain to come down on that particular person's head. He could have done it that way. And one reason that God didn't do it that way is because that kind of division is reserved for the last judgment. That kind of division, that preciseness that is involved, when we come to that day, that will be the end of time. When God makes that final distinction of that particular sort and nature. So in a sense, it's a sign of God's grace, of God's patience, of God's long-suffering with sinful men, that he would allow a church to continue to exist that is a mixed multitude. Now that doesn't mean that we can be lax. That means we should do everything we we can to be sure that those that are brought into the family of God belong into that covenant community. But we need to recognize that always, until the end, when God sets the sheep on his right, and the goats on his left, the mercy of God is manifested even in the weakness, the infirmity, and the mixed character of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, even as it was with respect to the Israel of the Old Testament. Now let's just look in conclusion at a few passages which in the New Covenant bind together the symbolism of the Old Covenant ritual with the essence and symbolism of the new covenant ritual. Look at Romans. Romans chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. It speaks of Abraham, who was justified by faith, even as you and I. And it says in Romans 4, verse 11... He received the sign of circumcision. Here's the symbolism of the old covenant. He received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness. In this case, it actually sealed him as one who was truly justified, as one who did possess the promises of God, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised. And now he's talking about the essence of the new covenant people. There is a unity here of the the outward symbol of the old with the inward essence of the new. 
He became the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. That's talking about the Gentiles. Verse 12, and he also is the father of the circumcised who not only are circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Here he's talking about those who are members of the new covenant, not only in outward form, but in truth, that is Jews and Gentiles. So you have an interplay, an interworking here. The outward symbolism of the circumcision of the old is related to the essence of the new covenant. Look at Romans 2, 28 and 29. The rainbow, is it of significance to you? Yes, indeed it is. Circumcision, is it significant to you? Yes, indeed it is. Romans two twenty-eight and 29. A man is not a Jew if he is one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. Here he's talking about the form that must have the true essence there. Circumcision is nothing if it does not have the essence that is there. If it does not truly bind a person in redemption to Jesus Christ. But he is applying that to the experience of the new covenant realities as well. In the essence of the new covenant in which a man is a Jew who by faith is bound to Jesus Christ. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Verse 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 3. Whoops, I've got the wrong verse here. No, I don't think it's... It's, excuse me, it's Philippians 3, verse 3. Philippians 3, 3. We are the circumcision. That is, we Christians. We are the circumcision. We who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. There is an essence of the Old Testament ritual that is the experience of the participants of the new covenant. Now finally, look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, as we read in our scripture this evening. Here you have, in the closest possible connection, the ritual of the new covenant, which is baptism, to the ritual of the old covenant, which is circumcision. Colossians 2, 11 and 12. In him, you were also circumcised. Did you realize that there is such a thing as Christian circumcision? There is such a thing as Christian circumcision. In him, you were also circumcised. In the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ. And verse 12, 
having been buried with him in baptism. Notice that the first clause of verse 12 is a dependent clause. And that dependent clause is resting on that first phrase of verse 11. So that the two verses taken together actually could read, In him you were circumcised by having been buried with him in baptism. Or, by being buried with him in baptism, you were circumcised. Now when Paul here says that there is a binding and a union of baptism and circumcision, he is here not denying that there was a true circumcision in the Old Testament. He's not denying that there was a true cleansing that was going on in the Old Testament. Nor is he denying that there is a symbolic baptism in the New Testament. He's not denying here that there is also a symbolic representation outwardly of that which has to be performed inwardly. But what he's saying is there is a total binding of the essence of baptism and circumcision in the mind of God. By having been buried with Christ in baptism, you have been circumcised. Is the Abrahamic covenant significant to you? Oh yes, it is very significant. There is only one covenant of redemption. There is only one people of God. And you by faith are brought into that fellowship of the redeemed of God. Even as circumcision was practiced to bind a community together in covenant relationship to God in the old, so baptism is practiced in the new covenant to fulfill precisely the same role to bind a people of God together in the new covenant. So we can praise God as we read our Old Testaments, as we see God's faithfulness unfolded not only to Abraham but to his seed, as we see God promising to Abraham the promises of the covenant, even to a thousand generations, we can claim those promises, those very promises for ourselves. Not just the possession of a material land, not just the possession of an externally constituted people of God, but ultimately the possession of the new heavens and the new earth, the possession of redemption, cleansing from sin, and the salvation of you and according to the promise of God and your house. Let us close in prayer. We come, O oh Heavenly Father, and thank you and praise you that you have started a good work many, many centuries ago. And you have continued to be faithful in that work. We come now and ask you that we as a people of God may be bound to you, fully understanding that all the past history has been for our sakes, upon whom the end of the ages has come. Give to us ever stronger faith to be sealed in the possession of those promises that you will fulfill. But we ask in the name of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let us stand for the benediction.